Well, I knew I was in big trouble, and it was time to start searching for our first house. I walked in the door. My wife is on the computer, and she has the largest Pinterest board on the computer that looks like the TV show uh, Fixer Upper on steroids, all right? She calls Joanna Gaines from that show JoJo. You know there's a problem when that happens, right? And so we lived in a uh, two-bedroom, 1,000-square-foot condo. We now have three little girls, three years old and under. And so we put the girls in the master bedroom, and we were in what we called the other bedroom, the smaller bedroom, uh, and it was just getting too tight. And so we decided uh, we're going to be first-time homeowners and to start that process. Now, many of you remember that time. And you probably, like me, made a few mistakes along the way, right? And so we got into this. Before we figured out our budget, we downloaded that app called Zillow. Mistake number one. So we're looking at all these pretty pictures. And let's just say we were one to $40,000 over the budget that we really should be, right? So we're missing it. Our expectations were here. And then we realized, wow, we are not that rich, so we need to lessen our expectations. And so we get into this process, right? And I really think Zillow and looking for houses online, it's kind of like a bad online dating experience. You know what I mean? You know those commercials when you show up and the guy doesn't look like he did on the pictures and it's like, how do I get out of this? I think I walked into one house in one room. There's stuff on the wall. I'm like, someone totally died here. Like, this is, this is not the right place for us. Let's get out. Um, But we go through this process, two months go by, three months go by, and we're not in a rush, but we really want to get a bigger place. And so then comes this Saturday. Saturday came, my wife went with the realtor, I'm with the kids during nap time, just hanging out, and she comes across the house that completely fit our vision. I mean, it was the one, right? And she goes through, it's got three bedrooms, it's renovated, uh, it's got a yard with a fence around so we can put the kids out and be sane for five minutes when they run around, you know? And it just completely fit exactly what we wanted. So my wife calls me and she goes, Griffin, uh, I found the house. I want you to see it, but I found the house. Like, all right, I get it. It's the right, it's the right one. She goes, I'm gonna come home. We need to jump on this. I need you to get in the car Go, go to it. Let's make a decision. Put an offer so that we don't miss out on this. I'm saying, all right, I will do what you said. I love you. <laughs> I've made other mistakes in the mirror. I'm getting it, right? And so 20 minutes later, I'm getting ready to go, and, and she walks through the door, and she's in tears, full-blown tears. And my first thought is like, what did that realtor say to you, right? And uh, I said, what happened? And she starts telling me, they called the, the realtor that was dealing with the house that she just saw, and literally an hour before she stepped in the doors, they had just signed a contract for another family to buy that house. And she, they found that out on the way home, she walked in, and she's telling me this, and I'm just like, wow, it's crazy. And she looks at me, and she says something I'll never forget. She says, Griffin, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. That was the house. Why did this happen? And I really think, it made me think that you and I, we've all been in a situation in life like that, haven't we? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not looking for a house. Maybe it's your job or your career. Maybe it's with your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids or your past or your future. You've been in a situation where you've been left to just say, I don't understand why it's going this way. I'm confused. 
It doesn't make any sense. I'm doing what I need to do, and I had a plan, and I need the plan to go this way. And all of a sudden, something happened, and something came in the way of it, and you're left just wondering, why did it happen this way? And then, if we were really honest, I think a lot of us would say, we've been in that place with God, haven't we? When it comes to our faith, especially as believers, we're looking at situations in our life that hurt that are confusing and sometimes that are devastating. We don't have the answers to the circumstance, and we're left going, God, where are you? God, I don't understand. Why can't I get pregnant? Why am I at this age and this stage of my career, and I just got let go, and I don't have a job anymore? Where where are the answers to this question? This is not going according to plan. This is not going the way that I had dreamed and I envisioned and I want to provide for my family. I want things to go the right way. Why is this person sick and we can't do anything about it? The doctors can't figure it out. Some of us have been there with God. And I'd be willing to bet for, for some of us, it's the biggest reason that holds us back from growing in our relationship with God. Because sometimes we're left saying, where is God and why is this happening? I just don't understand. And you see, sometimes God just doesn't live up to our expectations, does he? But what if I told you this morning that sometimes when God doesn't live up to our our expectations, it can actually change everything for you and me. And that leads us into John chapter 11. We're going to talk about the story and dig into this man named Lazarus. Now, many of you have heard about Lazarus and this story. And I'd be willing to bet with Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha, these three brother and sisters, they're probably the closest people to Jesus besides the disciples that there is in the Gospels. I mean, they loved Jesus. You find Jesus eating with them and spending time with them. You know the story about Martha serving and Mary. Uh, We talked about that recently. She's bowing down at his feet, just clinging to every word Jesus was saying. She's just eating up time with Jesus. They had a high view of Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed in everything that he represented, and they absolutely loved him. And Jesus loved them too, And so if there's anyone in in the Bible, and the Gospels, that probably had a right to have really high expectations of Jesus, I think it's these people. And so we go into this story where they they have a huge need from God. They need Jesus to show up. Their brother Lazarus gets sick. He's hurting. He's struggling. The doctors aren't working. They can't find the answers on WebMD, right? They can't figure it out. And, And Lazarus is getting worse. And worse and worse. And so they had an expectation. Jesus, I need you to show up. And in fact, they did the right things. Jesus is in another town. They send for him. And you know, they're thinking, like, Jesus has been healing strangers. I mean, he's been touching people with leprosy that no one else will touch. The Pharisees will stay a certain amount of feet away from them. And he's healing the most unclean people. If there's anyone he's going to show up for, it's us. I mean, he loves us. And we love him. And we're tight, right? But I'm here to tell you that Jesus did not meet Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' expectations. And he didn't do it in a very big way. But it changed everything. And let me show you what he did. Verse 6, right off the bat in this story, in chapter 11 in the book of John, says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, look at this, sick, he stayed where he was 
for two more days. Now, it's, Jesus makes a conscious decision. He hears the news. Mary and Martha sin for him. Lazarus is sick. Come on, be the, the healer and show yourself. And he chooses not to. He says, no, I'm going to wait two more days. And you're looking, you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then look at verse 14. He actually tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead. He's not sick anymore. Jesus isn't even there, and he knows exactly what's happening. And it appears that he knows exactly what he's doing by not going and healing and, and doing the plan and the expectations that Mary and Martha had. Lazarus, he tells the disciples, he is dead. He's dead. And then in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead for four whole days. And you're looking at Jesus and you're going, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Jesus is four days late to the scene. Mary and Martha did the right things. They had expectations. They had a plan. They called on Jesus. They trust in Jesus. They want Jesus to show up. And he chooses not to. And he's four days late. So the big question for you and me today that I want to help us answer today is how do you and I handle when God doesn't meet our expectations? Because I think we've all been there. We've been wondering and we've been asking questions. What is God doing? I don't feel God in this situation. I can't see what's going to turn out well for me in this situation. I'm coming to church. I'm digging in with God. Why is it going like this? Why is it getting harder? And where is God when I need him the most? But what do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations. And I think in this very, very powerful story, there's three truths that you and I, if we can cling to them and if we can believe in them, it will help us handle when God does the unexpected. If you want to write in your bulletins, you can. Here's the first truth. It is that Jesus has a purpose. In this story, and I believe in our lives, Jesus always has a purpose When he does the unexpected. And here's the first purpose right off the bat. It's for God to be glorified. Look at verse 4. Four verses into this story. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness, he says it right up front, this sickness will not end in death. This is not how Lazarus' story ends. He says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so you read the Gospels. And you see that everything Jesus did, and everything he said, and every person he interacted with, and every person he healed, and every person he fed, and everything he did was always to point to the glory of God. Everything was meant to bring glory to his heavenly Father. That was his biggest and main purpose for his life. But the second purpose he reveals in this story is a little bit more personal, and it's this, is that Jesus wants to grow our faith. Kurt talked about it last week, that he wants to sometimes stretch us so that we will grow in our understanding and lean on him more. And look at these two verses that go with this. It says, so then he told them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. But then he says, for your sake, there's a purpose to what is unexpected. There's a purpose to the pain. There's a purpose to the things in our life that that are confusing and that we have questions about. He says, I am glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. And let's stop right there for a second. He always has a purpose, right? Do you notice the people that hear the purpose of God on the front end? It's the disciples. It's the guys that are living life with Jesus, right? They get to, they get to hear the why. Why is this happening? They hear what Jesus is going to do, the purpose behind it. It's the guys that have kind of left everything to focus on Jesus. They're clinging to his every word. They're eating with him. They're spending time with him. They value Jesus in their life. And they are the ones on the front end of what he's doing that get to understand. They get insight into the purpose of God. You know what? I think it's the same for you and me. The more we invest in him and our relationship, the closer we are to God, the more he will reveal his purposes to us when it doesn't always make sense. It led me to think about this in, in our life. I was thinking about God's purpose versus our plans, right? Because life doesn't always go according to plan. Would you agree with that? Things go wayward, things go in a direction we're not ready for, and unexpected things happen. But I think God's still involved with it. And here's what I've come to realize. This next part says, God's purposes will always be greater than our plans. I love this verse in Proverbs. I want to read to you. It says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I think sometimes we get really frustrated and and sometimes we ask some hard questions to God when things don't go according to plan. But here's what I've learned with God is if God always followed our plan, God would always just meet our expectations, wouldn't he? But I don't think we have a God that wants to meet our expectations. I think we have a God that wants to exceed our expectations. And if God always followed our plan, he would fit into this nice little box and comfortable and it would be always something that we would expect. But I think God loves to do the unexpected because he knows there's something bigger than our plans and it always goes back to his purposes. And so I find myself reading this and asking myself, do I value more my plans or do I put more value on God's purposes for my life? Because one leads to something that is better than we ever expected before. And so sometimes, actually every time, when God does the unexpected, there is always, always a purpose. Truth number two. He has a purpose, but he also has a passion. And this is where probably my favorite part of this entire story, because I'd never thought about it, this way. You think about Mary and Martha in this situation. Brother is dying. He's now dead. They do the right things. They send for Jesus. They're expecting things from Jesus. And we've all been in that place. We've had a family member or someone close to us who gets sick. Maybe it's cancer. or it, You feel like it's out of control, right? You can't do anything about it. And they're hurting and, and you're wondering what's going to happen. I remember uh, we have three daughters now, but when we had our first one, Harper, and she got her first fever, it was 104 degrees, we completely freaked out, right? I mean, we just got scared. And so we took her to the ER, and we're uh, Googling, and it's telling us her limbs are probably going to fall off. Like, never Google anything when your kids are sick. It's, and my wife's like, is this for real? I'm like, no, I'm throwing the phone out of her hands. Like, uh, but we freak out. We go to the ER, and it takes two hours to see the doctor, but we just will do anything. We were desperate. We're desperate for, for something to happen. And I think Mary and Martha are in this situation. 
And they're confused and they're, what is Jesus doing? Why is he waiting two days? Why is he four days late? And they're just, they're, they've got to be devastated when Lazarus dies. You see, what's interesting about Jesus in this story is that he knows in verse 4, and spoiler alert, there's going to be a resurrection with Lazarus, right? And he says it in verse 4. He says it right off the bat. And so before Jesus shows up with Mary and Martha, he knows he's going to do something big. He knows he's going to do something better than they expected. He knows it's going to end well for them. And they're going to have the story of a lifetime. Lazarus is going to come back from the dead. But here's the thing. It does not stop Jesus from getting emotionally invested with Mary and Martha and those who are hurting. Here's what I mean by that. Look at these four verses. And I'll tell you that Jesus' greatest passion is his people. And here's how I know that. Look at verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And some of you are like, well, he let their brother die. Well, how, how can we say that? And look at the next verse. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, watch, watch how he works. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Jesus knows there's going to be a miracle, and he's going to produce it. He knows it's going to end well. He knows Lazarus is going to live again. But it does not stop him from entering into the confusion and the pain and the hurt with these people that he loves. Look at this next verse. You've probably heard it. 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He is sobbing in tears, emotionally overcome for these people that he desperately loves. People are God's greatest passion. He's weeping alongside of them. And can I just tell you today that when you're confused and when God's doing the unexpected and you feel like he's four days late, or four weeks, or four months, or four years late, and you're stuck in a situation that hurts, and it's painful, and you can't seem to get the answers for yourself or from God, and you don't feel like he's moving or working, or he feels like he's just kind of left you alone in that, I think Jesus proves right here that in that confusion and in that desperation, you are not alone. Jesus is sobbing and weeping and feeling it right there with you. And this is the heart of God on full display. He knows it's going to turn out better for them if they stick with him. But he's overcome with love and emotion for these people. Do you see the heart of God on full display? He knows it's going to be a beautiful ending, but he weeps with them. And I just want to tell you, he's right there with you, Harborside. You may be confused or hurting or in pain. Jesus wants to be in it with you. The last scripture, verse 38, says Jesus again. He goes to the tomb. He is deeply moved when he came to it. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Let me go a little bit deeper into the passion of Jesus. Now, he's passionate about us, right? And he walks through the hurt and the pain and the confusion. He knows it's hard, and so he's with us emotionally. But it goes further than that. Because watch how Mary and Martha interact with Jesus. I love this. These two sisters say the same thing to Jesus, and it's the same thing that we do. They say, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, 
my brother may not have died. And focused on the past and the what ifs. God, if you just followed my plan, it would have been so much easier, right? If you would have answered my call right when I said it, he wouldn't have died. He would have been healed. It would have been nice. Everything would have been better. And look at what Mary says. It's the same thing. She reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And isn't it typical of us? When God's doing the unexpected, it's easy to look backwards to our past and wish everything would have been different. Right? Wishing God would have showed up the way we wanted and the way we expected. And some of us, we continue to dwell in the past of what hurt us and we can't seem to move forward from it. But watch this. I love this. Jesus has compassion for our past as we just proved. But he has a greater passion for your future. Jesus doesn't want to leave us in what hurt us and what was confusing. He is working to lead us into a a future where he's going to do something bigger than you and I ever expected. And Mary and Martha are just like us. They're dwelling in what could have been. And Jesus goes, listen, I'm going to take you to what's going to be. And it's going to be better. And it's going to exceed your expectations. Because God doesn't just want to meet your expectations. He wants to exceed them. So how many times do we dwell in what could have been, wondering why if this didn't happen, it could have been better. Jesus has something better prepared for him. You know what that is? It's number three. It's that Jesus has power. I want to read the the last part of this story because the scripture does it enough justice. We're going to read how it ends. Here we go. Verse 38 says, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone, he said. Well, watch Martha. She goes, but Lord. She gets in the way of this miracle. She's like, by this time there's a bad odor. Jesus is going to smell bad. Don't open it. It's going to be bad for you. And Jesus is like, guys, I'm about to blow your mind. Just get out of the way. Let me go to work. He's been there for four days. Said, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, If you believe I have a purpose for you, if you believe I am passionate about you in the confusion, if you stick with me when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to exceed your expectations. I'm going to reveal the glory of God to every single person that is in this place. And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and he prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He continues, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of all the people standing here, that they may believe. Because God wants to grow your faith when he does the unexpected. That you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And maybe my favorite little scripture here, John had to love writing this. He said, the dead man walked out. Just put yourself in that place. God's power on full display, and it was completely unexpected. And it was better than the plans Mary and Martha had originally. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let this man go. The dead man came and walked out. God's power on full display. 
You see, I think that's what God wants for all of us. We're in this series called This Changed Everything, and we've been going through stories where God is revealing himself in public for all these people to see. And you talk about two weeks ago, the transfiguration. And yeah, it was a couple of disciples beside Jesus, and you have Moses and Elijah, but when the radiance of God was transfigured through Jesus, it was on full display on top of that mountain for the entire city to see the glory of God as he was transfigured. Then last week, Kurt talked about the blind man. He was blind from birth. How many people in that community watched him be blind his whole life? And they saw him on the streets. They walked by him begging for money. And some of them probably gave him money. Some of them probably prayed for God to do a miracle for him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, spits in some mud, rubs it on his face for anyone to see. He washes in the pool of Siloam. And everyone sees as he tells the Pharisees, all I know that I was blind and now I can see, and Jesus did that. His power is on full display. And then you have Lazarus. These people, these crowds, came for a funeral, and they got to see a resurrection that Jesus put on full display. And you see, what does that mean for us, right? What does that mean for you and me, that God's power is on full display? Well, I believe that God wants to do that in your life and in my life. He wants his power to be on full display for the world to see through your life and in my life. And there's this verse, the, probably the key verse in this story, verse 25, 11:25. It says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, talking to Martha, I am the life The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he said, do you believe this? In Harborside, that is the question for you and me today. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you and that he is passionate about where you're at currently, but he wants to lead you to a place where he reveals his power in your life and through your life? It's the question. And so my wife walked in that Saturday um, devastated. The house that was her vision fell through completely. Someone else signed the contract. And so what's interesting about that is that was the first day while she was gone that I started researching for this message. And I read all 44 verses of the story of Lazarus, and I'm taking notes, and I'm noticing. I think this story is all about Mary and Martha, and it's all about the four days. It's about... Will they keep their faith in God through the four days when it was unexpected and God's doing something that they didn't expect, going against their plans? And my wife walks in, she says that, and so I go full preacher mode. I'm like, oh, honey, listen to this. Let me tell you about Lazarus. She's like, Mike, but I just start going. I'm just like, she has to deal with that a lot. I'm just saying, God may be just doing the unexpected. Like maybe that's just not the house for us, and I think we just have to trust him. That's not the house, so there's a better one waiting for us. We like to say stuff like that, right? I think he's going to lead us in his timing, in his place, and it's all going to work out. Our job is to trust him. And so then I ended it by blurting this out. I said, but you know what? I think God's powerful enough that four days from now, I'm tying it to the story like any preacher would, (laughs) And I'm saying four days from now, what if that contract gets removed and all of a sudden he resurrects the opportunity to have that house so we can sign those papers, move into the house? I just think God's capable of anything. So let's just trust that God. 
right? Because it's not going according to plan. So that was Saturday. Wednesday rolls around four days later. The realtor gives me a call. She goes, Griffin, I'm not calling your wife. I don't want to get her hopes up again. She calls me and she says, the family backed out of that contract for that house. <laughs> and the, the house is available. And so if you want to go, we got to jump on it because, you know, we can lose it quickly. And so I make time Thursday morning before work. I get over there. I'm like, my wife already said yes, so I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It fit, it fit all the needs. I didn't even need to see it. I trust her. And so that Friday, we put a bid in. They did a counteroffer on Saturday. By Sunday, we have an agreement on the house. A month later, we signed the contract. We've been living in that house for a month. It's because God is powerful. And sometimes the point is that he will do the unexpected. You know what? That's my story. What's your story? Do you believe that God has a purpose for you that's bigger than your plans? Do you believe that he's passionate about you in the midst of the unexpected, in the confusion? When it doesn't make sense, you're not alone. You're never alone. He's right there with you. And if you let him, he will weep alongside of you because he loves you that much. But he's also passionate about taking you from your past and leading you to your future because he wants his power to be on full display with you and me in our lives. And so I'm thinking about this, and I think some of us are in the place of Mary and Martha, and we're confused. Marriage is going the wrong way. I lost my job. What's God going to do next? I didn't get the school I wanted. I'm not making enough money right now. Can I pay the bills? Can I get through this? I'm losing influence with my kids. Where is this going to end up? And we don't see that God has a bigger purpose in mind. And I just want to tell you, it's all about the four days. He may seem four days late, but he can't wait to show up as you trust in him so he can lead you to experience his power because God wants to not meet your expectations. He wants to exceed them. And isn't that better? Do you believe it is the question. But some of us, some of us are like Lazarus this morning. Some of us feel dead inside when it comes to God. And some of us feel like we are in a dark place. We are in a lonely place, not only with God, but with people, with our family, with our friends. No one understands, and we feel stagnant, and we've been dwelling in the darkness of the past and wondering, what if it went like that? And what if I didn't make those decisions? And what if I didn't struggle with that sin? Or what if my spouse was better? And all these what ifs. You know what I think? Today, Jesus is calling your name to come out of that darkness and to pull you out. And he wants to remove the cloth from your eyes. He wants you to see his love, his grace, his mercy. He has a purpose for you. He's passionate about you. He wants to lead you through where you've been to take you to a place you've never been because that's how powerful and loving God really is. But he's calling your name and he wants you to come out to him. Oh, and he wants to exceed your expectations. Because sometimes, Harborside, that changes everything.
And that's what he wants to do. I'm going to, I want to ask you to stand if you could and prayer partners can come forward. We'd love to pray for you today. Wherever you're at, lost, confused, hurting, do you believe he has a purpose? Do you believe he is passionate? You are his greatest passion. And he wants to reveal his power to you. Let me pray this morning. God, you are unbelievable. Thank you for this story that we can, we can take these truths, God. But I know there's so many people in this room who are hurting and they're confused. God, help them know that you are with them in that pain. And there is a bigger purpose in mind. And you cannot wait to lead them to see your power. God, and I pray that those people that feel like Lazarus, help them remember that if you have power over death, you have power over our addictions, you have power over our marriage, you have power over our spouse, you have power over our children, you have power over our past and our future, and you can't wait to call our name and draw us into your love and to lead us to that. God, you are amazing. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.